privilege to be here. Thank you for coming. Thank you for allowing me to uh, come here and talk a little bit about what God's been doing over the last couple of years. Um, I've known some of you for a very long time, and for many years, many, many years ago, God put it on my heart that I was going to write a book, maybe several, who knows. But this is not the book that I thought I was going to write. Far from it. So I want to begin today where I began in the introduction. My story, this book, is the story and journey of a very ordinary Christian woman, one who loves Jesus, believes his word, and wants nothing more than to live for him. A woman who has faith and speaks the word of God over her life. This is us, right? This is all of us. We believe God. We want nothing more than to live for him. And we're all ordinary Christians. So, like many of you, I was doing all the right things, I thought. All the things I'd been taught but I was not living in the victory that I knew God wanted for me. Like many of you back then, (laughs) I I was wondering, what's wrong with me? Is there something about me that God just doesn't like? Is there something about me that God's just not happy with? Why do I feel this way? Life happens. Circumstances happen, don't they, to all of us? So this feeling that I had all those years ago, this state that I was in, was the birth of a wonderful journey. I say that now. And the background and the birth of this book. And you know me, some of you. I've been around here for over 20 years. You've seen me walk through some of the things that I've walked through. It's been a process, and it's been a long time. And some of you can say that with me. It's been a long time. And when you're going through, as you all know, when you're going through, that's when the enemy comes up with some very creative ways to take you out, knock you down, or just plain kill you. He comes up with some very creative ways when you're going through. So this book is my story, my journey, and I call it my perfect storm. I hate cliches, but there's not another one that can describe this, okay? First was years and years and years of struggling with severe depression. So bad and so long, struggling, even knowing God, struggling with depression. And I will admit that I struggled with it. Um, I went through, because of that and its aftermath, and the whole story is in here, you know, um, 23 years of marriage ends in divorce because I'm depressed, I'm angry, I'm a mess. Then, so we got depression, we've got divorce. And after all that, 
the crowning punch, a diagnosis of a stage four cancer, multiple myeloma, which means bone marrow cancer. Final stage, you're done. It's like, okay. <laughs> so that's why I say how many ways the devil will come up to try to take you out or kill you, put you down, whatever he can do. And I know I'm not the only one. Everyone in here has a story. Everyone in here has a struggle. Everyone in here has felt this way, whether you admit it or not. Everyone has felt this way from time to time. What's wrong with me? Does God, am I doing something wrong? Does God just not like me? We've all felt that way. And there's nothing wrong with feeling as long as we're honest with our feelings. But there's one thing I've learned that's extremely important, extremely important. Don't ever get into self-pity. Don't ever feel sorry for yourself because everything I went through was shaping a purpose, a destiny. And now ultimately my banner that I live by now. Not that God did any of this. He didn't. He didn't do any of this to me. But he knew it, and through it, he shaped a purpose. He shaped my destiny, and I love my destiny. <laughs> I was always about the authority of the believer, if any of you remember, when I used to teach and preach. I was always about the authority of the believer, who we are, our position in Christ, the power that's in us. And I still am all about that. But now, I look at it a bit differently. I've kind of stepped outside through all of this, stepped outside myself, and I'm looking at a different picture, a bigger picture. I was always a studier, okay? I knew this word. I was diligent. I studied. I used to teach. I knew a lot about God. Now, I see him. I see him. I know him now. We'll never know completely, but I can honestly say I know him. I don't just know about him. Do you remember in the movie Avatar? I think I'm pronouncing that right. When the, the woman looks at Sully and she says, I see you. I see you. And that's a special thing. Job said it. At the end of everything Job went through, he said, I've heard about you, I knew about you, but now I see you. He said those exact words, I see you. And sometimes it takes going through stuff to see God. Now I see a God of pure Love. Absolute love. So last week, when we were listening to Pastor Paul, he talked about defining moments. And I knew exactly what my defining moments were. And there was a couple of them, but they're all around the same thing. So mine involves a positive and a negative. So my negative defining moment, um, you'll find this story again. I'm very honest in this book. <laughs> my defining moment was when I gave up on everything. Because I thought, what am I doing all this for? 
I'm obviously never going to do it right. There's something about me just God doesn't like. It's never going to work. And I've been doing everything, everything, everything. So one day I just shouted. I literally shouted at God. I am not doing this anymore. Fill in the blank. Because I won't. (laughs) I'm not doing this anymore. If you can believe it, I was disappointed in God. Some might say, how dare you? You know, let's be honest. I was disappointed because I didn't know any better. As much as I knew about him, I said, why does he do stuff for other people and he doesn't do anything for me? You know, I felt like I've done everything right and you've been there. Look how I've served you. I've taught in the Bible school. I taught super kids. I, 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 did, 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 did. Whoopee. Okay. So I said, because I'm a bit of a spitfire, as some of you know me, I'm, I got some attitude. So I said, fine. I've done everything right, and that's not going to work. I'm going to do everything wrong. And I did. Which led to everything you've heard about. <laughs> okay. Um, The positive defining moment was after several years of doing everything wrong, realizing God never left me for one second. Not one second. Even though I was doing nothing for him, I still talked to him in my own blunt manner. He never left me, and I always felt him, always. So the culmination of my defining moment was when I was sitting in the wheelchair in the hospital, and my husband was standing behind me, and that doctor said to me, you have stage four, multiple myeloma cancer. And I kind of stared at him, and I Look to see who he's talking to. And literally, like, there was no, there was no panic. There was no fear. Everything that was inside me, the presence of God, everything God had taught me, everything that I put in my spirit, everything God was, his presence, his love, all of it, literally, whoosh, rose up. And in my spirit, I yelled, no, no, uh uh-uh, no. Everything came flooding back. And his presence at that moment, now here I was, hadn't done anything. Like, you got to know where I was at that point, you know, like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything wrong sitting there with this, and, you know, you can't decide to do everything wrong and not have consequences, okay? And I had all the consequences. But here he was, my faithful, loving, heavenly father, just whoosh. It was like a download of everything he ever was. And in my pit, in the state I was in, I boldly stood up on the inside and I said, no, not happening. Because God's word says, I will live. 
And I made that decision. And you know what we need to realize in, this, in a situation like that where we are? When we decide, the moment we decide that we're going to step back into God, no matter where we've been, what we've done, even if it's all our own fault, which it was, there's no waiting period. There's no penance. There is no, well, you know, look what you've been doing. You better prove yours. No, there is none of that. There's no blame. He didn't say it was all your fault, Marion. None of that. He just took me back. No questions asked. No waiting, no penance, nothing. Just like your little children, right? Run, 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 run. He loved me right where I was, pathetic in that wheelchair, stupid. He loved me right where I was, and he carried me through that whole thing. And now I know that authority, the authority of the believer, who we are overcoming, is all wrapped up in knowing his love, knowing how much he loves us. All the promises in Scripture, all the principles in the Bible that were taught, all the teachings, everything, everything God says to us in this book is for one reason and one reason only. It's because he loves us and he wants to get something to us and he wants us to have a good life. It's the only reason for anything he teaches is because he loves us. I don't look at anything anymore as a you must. I don't look at anything as a formula anymore. I used to. I used to think, you know, I'm a word of faith person. You know, we know we have to do this, 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 and this. And I used to do it all. And I, I thought I had to do that. And if I have to do this in order to get God to do something for me. You know what? They're, they're all wonderful. And they're all true. But motive. Motive. I used to look at it as a formula, a to-do list, a performance if I do this, God's going to be happy with me. No, God was happy with me anyway. Even when I was a mess, even when I was pathetic, even when I was stupid. He wasn't looking for me to perform for him. What does he need from me? <laughs> you know, he made me just so he could love me. He made you just so he could love you. He's trying to get his love to me because it's amazing. Everything we believe in, you know, here and in the faith churches, we believe in having faith, which is belief in God's word. We believe in healing, right? We believe in provision. We believe in living in peace. We believe in hope for the future, but none of this works, none of it, unless we understand that he absolutely, completely, unmeasurably, relentlessly, unconditionally, and passionately loves us, you, 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 me. It's all the feelings he has for us. 
That's it. John 17, 23. The Passion Translation. I like it too. For they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to the Father. He's saying he wants us to see that God loves us with the exact same passionate love that he has for Jesus. That means he loves you exactly the same as he loves Jesus. How much is that? How big is that? How powerful, how passionate, how world-shaking is that? Give that a thought for a minute or so. That's you. I've been saved for over 40 years, okay? Over 40 years, and I never, ever saw this the way I see it now. Never. And I suspect I'm not the only one, okay? Religion hates that. Religion hates that you don't have to do anything. You just have to be. God created you to be. You don't have to do anything to get God's love. Religion will try to take that away from you. Religion will try to screw that up, twist it around, because religion wants you to serve. Not that there's anything wrong with serving but it can't be your focus. We are a faith church, and faith means believe. So being the good student that I still am, I looked up the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic of the word belief. And it's pretty amazing. It means a bedrock, solid foundation, proof, certainty, absolute confidence, and unshakable assurance. It means to absolutely stake your life on this. Trust me, sometimes you do have to stake your life on it. That's what believe means. Not just mental assent. Yeah, I believe that. Great. No, you don't believe it until you put your life on it. And your life depends on it. Your hope depends on it. Your finances depend on it. What happens to your children depends on it. Then you'll learn, like I did, what rock-solid, unshakable belief means. It'll change your life. But how do you put that kind of confidence in this word, in what God says? How do you put that kind of confidence unless you absolutely know There is no one on this planet that he loves more than me. There is no one on this planet that he loves more than you. It can't get any bigger. How, how could we possibly believe all the outrageous promises that God makes? Unless we absolutely believed how much he loves us. Like Ephesians 3.20. I love this in the past. 
never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imaginations. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. So, being the good student I am, I looked up this verse in the original language, and do you know what I found? It means exactly that. Exactly that. Let me read it again. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, exceed your wildest imaginations. He will outdo them all because of the miraculous power that constantly energizes you, which means it's at work in you. So, How can you believe this unless you know how much God loves you? And I can prove it because let's skip back to the verses right before this. And it says, you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. This verse precedes the believing he will do everything beyond your wildest imaginations. So that proves you can't believe God. You can't believe anything in this book. Really believe like rock-solid believe until you know how much, how personally, how unfathomably he loves you personally. That's how we can believe it. I do this often. I look up words. I look them up because if you know what these words mean, no one can take it away from you. No one can obscure the meaning. Can I argue with the dictionary? It's what it says. It's what the word means. It's very eye-opening. It's done a lot for me. And this will set you free. Knowing the meaning of these words, and it does actually say that, will set you free, as it did me. How could you believe Romans 8.11? This was one I stood on. When Pastor Paul first prayed for me when I got out of the hospital, this is the one I stood on. How could you believe this? Listen. But if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ up from the dead will also, in the same way, give that same... Now I'm reading the definitions of... (laughs) what I looked up in the Hebrew or in, in, sorry, in the Aramaic. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit because of the definitions. 
he who raised Christ from the dead will also, which means in the same way, give life. And that means that same Zoe life, the God kind of life to your mortal body. That means here on this earth by that same spirit who dwells in you. When I saw this, you're going to laugh, but you know, he laughed. My husband laughs at me all the time because I get a little, you know, uh, I said to God, have you seen this? <laughs> Do you see what this says? Because I wanted the same quality of life that Jesus had because I was dying. Okay. I was dying. So I'm like, you said this. I'm like, I believe it. So I said, uh, I better be able to depend on this. We talk like that. And of course, I could. Okay, so how could you believe John 10.10? 10? I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. How could you believe that? Life more abundantly? That means your greatest life, right? How could you believe God really wanted that for you? And would do it for you unless you knew how much he loved you. <sighs> I have a funny story. So this book was just, uh, just put out two months ago. And uh, I did a Facebook ad announcing the official. Some of you may have seen it. I don't know. Um, and all it was was just a picture of the book. You know, my name, a little blurb. That was, you know, on the back, not just taken from the back of the book and where you could buy it and that sort of thing. So out it goes and I do plus. So it goes out everywhere, right? So it's an ad. It's just an ad. Next thing, I'm getting these hateful religious. I must have really ticked off a lot of religious devils. Because <laughs> I am getting the nastiest comments <laughs> from strangers who just looked at my ad. I mean, it wasn't even sent to them. <laughs> it was just an ad. Nasty. We don't have a great life here on earth. How dare you? Have you read your Bible? You know, we can never have a great life. We're supposed to serve. You're just using God. Where did they get all that just from one sentence in an ad? <laughs> And then, of course, I will laugh because I know what that is, right? I know that that's just religious devils and uh, religious spirits really mad. And I'm like, I live. Well, I don't live to make them mad, but I really enjoy making them mad. <laughs> and you, you know that about me, right? <laughs> My husband even said, he said, oh, boy. <laughs> is the world ready for that? And another friend of mine says, I don't think the church is ready for that book. <laughs> God told me to write it. It is what it is. But, um, yeah, couldn't believe it. The nasty responses. Some people loved it, but some just, wow. Oh, and one of them said, that all happened to you because you're a sinner. <laughs> Do you know me? <laughs> it was hilarious. I laughed. That one, you know, when, when, you, when the devil comes against you, 
when stuff like this comes against you, you know you're doing something right, right? You know you're doing right because, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't care about lies. He only cares about truth. So I'm like, thanks for the reassurance. Love it. Anyway, getting back to, getting back to how can you believe these outrageous promises? How could you believe by Jesus stripes, I am already healed? Done deal. Happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus paid the price. It was done. How can you believe that and really walk in that unless you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he did it for you because he loves you so much and he doesn't want you to be sick? To put your faith in that and to believe it happens. I'm not dead. (laughs) I'm here. It's like this works. Yay! How could you believe that whatever you ask for, whatever, because that's the word, whatever, and get, guess what that means in the Aramaic? Means whatever. Means whatever you ask for in prayer, believing, standing, solid, it's true. I take it. I'm not moving off this. You will have it. It's a promise. How could you believe that? Unless you absolutely knew. He loves me. Okay? You wouldn't be able to otherwise. You just wouldn't. Because like a lot of religion, you'd think, well, I did something to deserve it. I'm just suffering for Jesus. I did something wrong. I'm being punished. Or perhaps, well, I haven't served enough. Or you're caught in false humility. Well, you know, later in life. Like all those messages I got, this this, this is ugly religion, right? Saying, well, I'm not good enough yet. I haven't suffered enough. You know, one said, It'll take a thousand experiences. You will never be free until you have your thousand experiences, and it will take coming back for a thousand lifetimes. I don't have time for that. (laughs) Or you could be caught in false humility. You know what I mean by false humility, right? Well, you know, I'm just satisfied with a little cabin in the corner of heaven. Uh, God's not poor. He created this earth and everything in it for us. Do you think there's a cabin in the corner of heaven? There's not. There's one there for you. You'll have to get over that. Um, <laughs> your wildest imaginations. Let it go. He loves you. You know what? This was a wild imagination. Marion from the hood I grew up scrapping my way home from school, okay? So poor. There's an expression I won't use it because you'll have to edit it out. We had a pail. <laughs> Literally, okay? Poor. Nothing. Two dresses. Three bunks on top of each other in a tiny room. Like, poor. I grew up that way with, and in a religious household. 
okay, religion, that I had to follow all these rules. This is a sin. That's a sin. This is a sin. That stuff's hard to get off, isn't it? You know, like even now, a lot of us know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you grew up thinking you were supposed to do this, that, that, and that. Trying to get that out of you, it's tough. It's tough, but you can. You can. Takes a process. But the number one way to get in his presence. That is my number one thing now. That is my banner. That is what I live for, to get in his presence. Because above all else, serving is great. All that's great. But to just be. I had a lot of time to just be with God. Sometimes it was just lying there, listening to worship. Sometimes it was prayer. Sometimes it was in the word. But a lot of it was just being. Being. So I want to read 1 John 4, 16. Because this one's misused a little bit. So I want to bring this one out. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? What if you looked at it this way? He who abides in love abides in God. You better walk in love. You better control that temper of yours. You better forgive. You better not hold any grudges. Because if you don't, you won't abide in God. Not what it's saying. If you look up the words, <laughs> and the Amplified actually says it the way it is, says, God is love, and he who communes with and is in union with God abides in him. See how religion could take that verse and make it say, you better, you must. What he's saying is, abide, commune, just be with me, learn from me, accept my love, feel me in your spirit, be with me. It's not a condition of performance. It's not. I love the Amplified because it does that. God's love is brought to completion by communion with him and union with him, being with him. It's not a performance demand. It's an instruction on how to live. And that's why it's important to know what God's word means for yourself. Look up the words. Devotional after devotional after teaching, after teaching. And I've read them by the most wonderful people that I love and follow. But every now and then I'll see it. You must. You have to do this. Like, no. Like, how? They'll tell you you must. But I'm like, how? 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 This is like huge. This is way up here. How does one walk in love? Tell me how, 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 how. But it's never there, right? Give me process. So this is kind of what this book is about. Process. How? How do I step into this? How? It's all about relationship. It's all about abiding. It's all about being with 
him. Religion focuses on serving, and it's backwards. There's nothing wrong with serving. I serve God, but it's not my number one thing. Loving him and letting him love me is my number one thing. I didn't do anything for God for a lot of years. Just spend time with him. You know, and I was asked to do stuff. Pastor Nancy would ask me, and I'm like, nope, not doing nothing right now. (laughs) No, I'm good at saying no. I've learned to say no. Right, Steve? (laughs) I've... (laughs) I've learned five different ways to say no in several languages. And, you know, ever seen the Tim Hawkins, you know, how to, how to say no? It's funny, hilarious. I've learned how to say no. Um, not to him personally. He's just heard me say no to a lot of people now because I've, I've gotten real good at saying no. Um, the more... So let's get back to, I didn't do anything from several years, just spent time with God, did nothing, didn't go to any special meetings, you know, was invited to ladies meetings. And I was like, no, (laughs) just like that too. Like, no, don't want to. I'm very blunt, very sassy, not good, but it's just who I am. And it's where I was. Right. But the more time I spent with God, the more progress I made, the more I changed, the more my soul prospered. The Bible talks about, may you be, may you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. My soul was doing a lot of prospering because I did nothing except spend time with God every, every, every day. The more answered prayer I received, the more healing I received, the more peace I had in my heart. Why? Why? Because I got a big revelation of how much God loves me. Huge. How else could I stare into the face of a stage four cancer diagnosis? How else? And say, no. Saying no again. Even though I knew everything was my own fault. It was all my own fault. I'm the one who let things go. I'm the one who was angry. I'm the one who was bitter. I'm the one who wouldn't forgive. It's all my fault. I wasn't performing. I wasn't doing. I wasn't serving. I wasn't meeting any conditions. I was just being. I was just being with God. And because of the relationship, everything else flowed out. And now, now with the revelation I have and the relationship I have with God, now I can write this book. And I'm almost finished my second one. Now I can speak. Now I can serve him. Now I can do what I'm called to do because I've got a revelation of how much he loves me. And it's not me. It's got nothing to do with me. It's him in me. And I know that now. Even Jesus didn't start his ministry until 30 years. You know? So I can take a few. Now I know it's not in my own effort. I know it's the power that's in me. And really, it's a power of love. 
I don't find it's such a struggle anymore, like forgiving, letting things go. It's not a discipline, like I must, I must to read the word, study it, spend time in prayer. It's, it's really not a struggle anymore. It's not self-sacrifice. I've changed. And uh, this book really proves that I've changed because I am not a sharer. You know, I am not a, let's get together ladies and bear our heart. It's not me. I'm not a sharer. I don't do that. But this book is full of it because I've changed. It's full of sharing. It's full of honesty. It's full of bearing my heart. So that proves I've changed and that this is God because that's not me. Because I know him now. I can forgive. Because that was always a big one for me, forgive. Don't you hate a sermon on forgiveness? You just sit there. You know? But now I know the cost. Unforgiveness is costly. It can kill you. And I love where I am right now. And I'm not letting anyone take it. In this book, I talk about, you know, it's a lot of humor in this book. I talk about the four selfish reasons to forgive. And I'm only going to share one of them with you today. So this was actually selfish reason number three. It's if you're a control freak like I am, you are not going to let anyone control your life. And when you don't forgive someone, you are giving them complete control over your life. You are letting them steal from you. You are letting them make you upset, depressed, wreck your relationship with God, wreck your relationship with your kids or husband or spouse or whatever it may be. When you won't forgive someone, they have 100% control over you. How does that make you feel? Didn't make me feel very good. I'm like, okay, I like you and all, but I don't like you that much that I'm going to let you have control over my life. Off you go now. I release you, go away. I forgive you because nothing's stealing my joy and nothing's stealing my relationship with God. I see that now. I see. (laughs) It's good to see. The more I know of his love, the less things bother me. And the more I can obey his word and do it his way. It's very freeing. Extremely freeing. Bitterness, unforgiveness, and anger, just not worth it. Just so not worth it. You know, and the toughest thing is your spouse, because you live with them day by day, right? You know, um, you know, he has a word for me that we use in Newfoundland. Again, I can't use it here because you'll have to, you know. Um, but I am. I am that, you know. Um, but we forgive each other. Let it go because you have it's not worth it. Life is too short. Love is so precious. People are so precious. Let it go. You know what? And if it's someone who's really hurt you, because in my past, I've had people who have just crushed me. Like, why should I let them go? They're they're getting away with something. Let me tell you right now, nobody gets away with anything. If you can just hang on to that. Nobody ever gets away with anything. 
you got to pay the piper eventually. Unless they repent. That's a good thing. But, you know, I've had to just have, like, not that I wish anything because that's not love. And I, I will stay in love because I'm not moving out of this place. I love it. And I'm doing so well. Not that I'm being selfish, but hey, if you got to have a good reason to be selfish, do it, right? Whatever it takes, <laughs> whatever it takes, like my selfish reasons to forgive, whatever it takes, you know, some of you are just so sweet. You do it anyway, right? You know, cause you're just love and not me. Oh no. I had to learn everything the hard way, but that should give you a lot of hope, right? One of the verses I talk about a lot and this means so much to me, and I'm almost done. Isaiah 43, 1, 2. Listen to this. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they won't overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned nor will the flame scorch you. This means a lot to me because I have literally been through rivers, waters, oceans, fire, (laughs) you name it, I've been through it. And it never buried me. He always brought me out. What I love is that last line, nor shall the flame scorch you. You know what that means? Let me paraphrase that for you. You won't even smell like smoke which means there will be no evidence remaining to show that you'd been through it. Just like, you know, the children in the fiery furnace, they didn't even smell like smoke. There was no evidence on them that they'd even been through it. To me, that means no side effects, no residuals, no uh, coming back. What is is that word? Um, Relapse. None of that. No... Um, narcosis, no neuropathy, nothing. Won't even have the smell of smoke. No residuals, no evidence. I come out whole. How do I dare believe that? Tell me. Because I know how much God loves me. Little old me. He's setting me free because I'm letting him love me the way he wants to. I dare to believe that he loves me with all these flaws, all these personality flaws, my stubbornness, my mouth, my sharpness. He loves me. And I believe, I really believe there needs to be more of a focus in the church on this kind of love. We need to know that. Religion tries to take it away. But if I can be set free, anybody can be set free. Anybody. Just, it's all about love and everything else flows out. Nothing works without it. None of these promises work unless you know that he loves you. You. Just like you are. Just how he made you. You know what? He made you like that. He made me the way I am. He made me with this temper and with temperament, I should say. He made me with this fire and spit and boldness. 
It's not always controlled, but he made me like that because he needed me to be like that to do what he called me to do, to be able to take criticism and people clawing at me, you know, making nasty comments and have me just go, Yeah. Oh, I'm on the right track, aren't I? He made me this way because of what he called me to do. And he made you the way you are because of what he's called you to do. There is nothing wrong with you. You don't have to change. And if there is anything, he'll tell you. It's not our job to tell you. It's nobody's job to tell you what you need to change. God's good at that all by himself. He can tell you what you need to change. But the point is, He made you with the personality you have for what he's called you to do. Don't think you're inferior. Don't think you're not spiritual. He made you that way. He made me this way. So now I just like myself. You know, Billy Graham says it everything. Just as I am. What are we not getting here? Just as I am. The only labor he tells us to do is to labor to enter into his rest. Hebrews 4.11, enter into his rest. How? In his presence. Time with him. Worship. And I can't emphasize worship enough because I used to be the other, which is word, 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 word. You got to worship. You got to get into that presence. It's amazing. You know, every morning, and I, I cling to this. I'll fight for this time in the morning. And I have to have it. I have to do this in order to stay free. I have to dance. I have to rejoice. I have to shout. I have to have that time or I wouldn't have survived. I wouldn't have. And sometimes I'm just standing still. How many times in the Bible do we see stand still and see the salvation of your God? And I have a brilliant revelation. The word stand still means stand still. (laughs) Don't be fussing. Don't be trying to do stuff. Don't be trying to serve and do this. And did I do that? And did I follow? No, stand still. And see the salvation of your God. What do we not understand? Just be. Let him love you. Once a week here is not enough. It's wonderful. Not enough. I got to do it every morning. If I miss a morning, am I cranky? Yeah. (laughs) Can't miss a morning. I fight for it. Because it saved my life. Not leaving this place. I'm not going back. In his presence is fullness of joy. And the joy of the Lord is my strength, which Pastor Paul said earlier. No joy, no strength. I'm going to stay joyful. I'm going to dance. I'm going to shout. There's something about dancing and shouting. Oh, that's in my second book. If you go into the Hebrew about dancing and shouting, it will set you free. Little, yo. A little commercial for my second book. <laughs> this is my banner now. This is my purpose. Just talking about the love of God, how much he loves you. John 10, 10. I have come to give you life, Zoe life, God kind of life, and life more abundantly. 
And that's why I call this book Your Greatest Life. Life and life more abundantly. God has it for us. I believe his love for us is the answer to everything we face. Because his love reveals this. When we know how much he loves us, we can believe this. We can receive this. And this is what changes our lives. we got to get into his love. I'm seeing his word now through the eyes of his love. And he, it's unlocking so much. I mean, I thought I knew this word before. It's amazing. I mean, I keep, you'll ask my husband, I constantly have notebooks and papers and everything all around me because I'm writing it down, writing revelation, 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 because I'm seeing so much now that I never saw before through the eyes of his love. It's my banner. It's my purpose to spread this now. Um, some of you already have this book, but I would like you to uh, invite you to pop back if you want to purchase a copy. I'll have them there. I also have an author page on Facebook called Mary and Grace, Your Greatest Life. And on it, I, I do regular posts just encouraging um, God's love, a little bit of teaching here and there, but regular posts on God's awesome love. So I invite you to come on that, follow it. I invite you to come back after and uh, purchase a book if you'd like one. And thank you for letting me share with you today. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.